Let's look at it. Let's, uh, I'll read, uh, I'm going to read 1 through 4 and then 5 through 11. And uh, so if everybody's turned to Colossians 3. And uh, the first if there is in the, in the sense of S-I-N-C-E, since. Um, it, it means, it doesn't mean, well, if Christ is risen, it means since Christ has risen. So if Christ then be risen, verse 1 of chapter 3, with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And verse 4, starting the section that we've been calling uh, Dead in the Old, for alliteration's sake. I'll show that to you in the outline in a minute. Um, he says in verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, uh, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing or sense that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we're going to do a review and then... Uh, finish up uh, what we didn't finish up, and that will finish the section. So we will be completed through verse 11. And I was going to tell you this morning, usually I, I get up a little earlier and I go through the lesson just to kind of refresh it in my brain, um, which needs more assistance than it used to <laughs> in, in remembering things. And I, I, I just am blessed by this, this book, and uh, I was really blessed this morning in reading about the provision because of all of the things that he's done for us in chapter 1 and 2, the doctrine. Now, what's our, our responsibility? To live the Christian life in a manner which is pleasing unto him according to that doctrine. We're living out the risen life, in other words. So let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at this book of Colossians. And Lord, we thank you for uh, your spirit enabling Paul, the apostle, to write this book 
which was directed to the Colossians, but is also written to each one of us. We pray, Father, that we would understand this book and that we would apply it to our lives and help us, Father, to live lives now as we are involved in living out our faith. We would live that out in a manner which is pleasing to you. We look at that time and we say, oh, those were evil times, but we know that we live in abundantly evil times where people's every imagination is evil in the world. Pray that you would be with us. Help us to honor you with all that we do. Now I pray that you would be with us here and with those that are watching from home or elsewhere or listening, that you would really be a blessing to them as we go through these verses. Much in review, we pray that you would help us also uh, as we go through the new material. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you have a handout and... I give you the handout for a couple of reasons. Number one, there are people that are at home and they can't say, hey, what did you say? <laughs> I don't understand your Southern lingo or I didn't get that. Uh, so at least have a chance because most, about 90% of what I'm gonna say is right here other than the, the uh, quotes. And also, I wanted you to have something that you could kind of refer to, not only here in class, but also uh, at home. There's a lot of good information here about uh, some very difficult passages. We know to have noted as we've gone along how many words Paul used that are one-time usages or two-time usage because he was trying to make a point uh, in a very special way. And uh, I got caught up looking at one of those this morning from Philippians 3. What a blessing that was. And uh, even one of the words, not all the put off words are the same. One of them is a special compound word that he used in chapter 2, verse 15. And we'll look at that in just a minute. So I've been really blessed by this. Cindy was, can tell you, I've been laughing all morning, happy, because I'm just so blessed with, with reading this. And I, I hope that this will be a blessing to you as well, because this is such a great book and such a great passage. And we have the ability not to be enslaved to sin. We can put off that old life and put on the new man, which is renewed after the knowledge of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, look at your handout under introduction. I'm going to race through the front part, but I want to do it again. There are some people that are here now that weren't here then. Uh, and if you have a question at any time, even though it sounds like, looks like, it feels like I don't want you to ask a question, please ask a question if you have one. Okay. Caution three. Uh, we are, we read, we did, we've already gone through verses one through four, and this kind of refers to that. <clears throat> Paul shifts his, from a doctrinal emphasis to a practical emphasis, and he looks at how the Christian is supposed to apply the true doctrine that he's taught in the Christian life. He encourages and exhorts the Christian to live out their relationship with Christ in their daily lives. Um, and, and we've talked about in the past that part of our worship is not only on Sunday, part of our worship is how we apply 
his word to our lives and how we live each day. The things that we are really not working for that boss or not working for that spouse. <laughs> We're working for the Lord, both in our relationships and in our marriage and also in, in, our, in our working relationships and retirement. I'm working for the Lord. He's my boss. So Paul encourages the Christians to live out their life and their relationship with Christ in their daily lives. And uh, he explains the truth of doctrine and the inward relationship in chapter one and two. And now he turns to the outward expression or demonstration of that inward relationship with Christ. So now in chapter three, he's looking at outward evidences of those actions and activities that result from an inward relationship. So in verses one through four, he emphasizes being risen with Christ. Now, there's a handout um, in the back there, gray. Okay, good, thanks. Thank you. So we're on page uh, one, the introduction, paragraph A. We're just going through that. The last, uh, and, and um, we've got a quote here. Um, in verses one through four, Paul emphasizes our being risen with Christ and our vital union with Christ that provides the power and enabling for holy living. And that's sanctification. Salvation is, is when we got saved. And now sanctification is a continuing process whereby we are conformed to the image of Christ. We are becoming uh, increasingly set apart for God's use. And uh, Vaughn says three, these, three verse, these three verses then point to the believer's union with Christ as the fundamental or root principle of the whole Christian life. It's the point of departure. It's a starting point for the source of power for all that we do. And that's quoting Curtis Vaughn, Dr. Curtis Vaughn, a seminary professor. Very good. And MacArthur says, these four verses, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. He says, that's a true call a call to true spirituality. Paragraph B, page one. Paul emphasizes the following since they've been raised or co-resurrected or raised together with Christ. Not only are we dead with him, but we're raised with him to new things. Seek heavenly things. And I just read that where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection or minds on the heavenly things, not on the things of earth. Why? Number three, verse three, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. <coughs> you, shall, you will also appear, be revealed with him in glory, with Christ who is our life. Paragraph C, after declaring this fundamental and controlling principle of our union with Christ, the new risen life, uh, Paul now describes in sections in chapter 3, verse 5 to chapter 4, verse 6, the f section we're in, the living out of this truth in practical ways. Another quote from Curtis Vaughn. He's saying, in short, or summary, the apostle teaches that the Christian's experience calls not 
simply for regulating the earth brown, our earthly life, but for digging out its roots and utterly, utterly destroying it. By earthbound life, he's talking about that, those sinful influences that are earthly here on earth. That's how he characterizes it. And this way, the new life in Christ will have free course and will attain full dominion or power. The underlying thought is, let the life that is in you by virtue of your union with Christ work itself out and express itself and every thought, deed, and relationship, end quote. So we've got an outline here. So the whole thing is kind of done around this outline, paragraph D. Deaden the old, in Colossians 3, 5 to 11, that's what we're in now and just about to finish, and develop the new, that's the next section, Colossians 3, 12 to 17, and then desire Christ-like relationships, Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1, and then... Devote to Christian duty, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And then the rest of ch the chapter 4 is greetings and uh, commendations, not condemnations, commendations. Okay. And so deaden yourselves to the old life. That's the first section here. Uh, and that's also divided up into three sections. If you look down there, the last three things, mortify or put to death. Um, we're calling it dead in the old. Um, put off, rid yourself. Again, we're calling that dead in the old. And verses 5, 8, and 9. Do not lie. Again, deaden yourself to the old man and the old uh, conduct. So the Colossians were, don't forget the Colossians were exposed to a very, very pagan culture which fostered, we're not far from that. We're probably worse in many areas. I'm not sure a lot of the religious practices and activities involve very terrible, obscene rituals and rites. And so Paul uses very strong language and commands to help them avoid that. And he names, he names a lot of it. So let's look at uh, chapter, excuse me, page two, uh, section A. So the first the first section of, of this, this area here. Mortify or put to death. So mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now at first look, it sounds like you're supposed to kill some of the members of your body. But that's not true. So nobody at home cut your leg off or do anything like that, okay? What he's saying is here that... <clears throat> Look at the last sentence in this paragraph. Paul is saying, when I speak of putting your members to death, I mean to put to death the things that come from those members, like fornication, uncleanness, etc., of which your members and bodies are instruments. So it's like we gave the illustration that MacArthur used when, when I would say to my son, don't give me any lip, it doesn't mean that he cuts his lip off and gives it to me. That means don't give me any back talk. So Paul is saying to them, put to death those sins which your, in, your members are instrumental in, in, uh, in doing. Um, the Colossians died with Christ when they were saved, as stated in Colossians 2.20 and uh, chapter 3, verse 3. And therefore, the original, therefore, uh, as a result of that doctrinal truth, uh, 
They were to make this death in the old life a reality and their practical living out of this principle in their daily lives. So their union with Christ would make this possible. So mortify is a very, very strong word. It means to put to death or make dead or slay, kill utterly. So, and it also, the verb, the way it's, the tense means urgent action taken decisively and forcefully. So it means we're not just to suppress or hold back the deeds and evil attitudes and keep them at bay. We're to destroy them utterly, wiping them out. Um, and the members which are upon the earth are defined by those sins. And we're to completely mortify, make dead, and remove the sinful acts, attitudes, desires, and thoughts, all of these worldly and sinful things. Now, there are people who literally spend billions of dollars to get you to uh, covet, desire, uh, involved, and sin. Uh, advertisers, you know. Uh, I love the the, the uh, commercials, the, this I do for me. <laughs> that, might be, that might be a great definition of being covetous. Uh, it's just amazing to me. Uh, and you deserve a break today. Probably not, but, you know, legally you have to have one. But it, it's amazing to me how, in fact, they're so subtle that colors of the buildings interior and also colors of the labels are, desi are de designed to evoke an emotional response. Sometimes even the music that is played is designed to get you to buy, to buy. Where the product is on the, on the counter, whether it's up here or whether it's right here, an eye level, especially eye level for children, it's designed to get you to buy it. I mean, it's very subtle. In fact, it was so subtle that in movie theaters, they would put every 10th frame or something, get a refreshment, you know, go to the refreshment stand or buy Coke or something like that. They got in trouble for that. They made them stop it because it was subliminal advertising and people would all go and rush out and buy stuff from the stand. So that happened in the 50s. They can't, supposedly they can't do that anymore. So now they just uh, flash the screen or get, get your attention to somebody. In fact, uh, if, if, if you watch a program that has commercials, um, sometimes if they really want you to get it, they will actually put the big words that they want you to remember up there in a big flashing light. And so that you go, oh, even if you have it muted, so you get the point, go buy this. So there's a lot of influences out there, um, much of it evil, um, that is trying to cause you to use the, the body, your body as instruments of sin, as in the old, when you had the old nature. And now that has been, we need to put that to death, reckon it dead, and move forward. Uh, let's look at paragraph two, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which is evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. It always amazed me that he was talking about some pretty graphic stuff here. And Paul listed these things 
uh, th these are instances of perversion and love, uh, which should be put to death. This is stuff existed predominantly back then, uh, even in places of worship. Uh, and we're, we're not that far from that now. Um, I think we have a greater spread of perversion, perhaps not as intense as they had it, but certainly it, with the media, it's everywhere. Even in elevators, you get messages. <laughs> so, um, all of it, it always amazed me that covetousness, which is idolatry, as tagged on. First of all, that covetousness is here, because uh, we don't think of covetousness as really kind of a bad thing. It's because we live in a society where we are bombarded every day with messages about wanting or buying or needing something that sometimes, most of the time, perhaps we don't need. Um, you don't need to buy a blank car. You need a Peugeot, you know, because then you've got status. If you have a, I don't think anybody has a Peugeot in the church. Do they? You, need, you need a Peugeot because that has more status, right? So um, covetousness is powerful and um, we went over these last week, so I'm not going to go over what fornication and cleanliness and ordinate affection and evil concupiscence. I do want to repeat the fact that it starts with an act, which also, it's a, it's a specific act, but it also means uh, habitual immorality and sexual immorality in general. But it's important that we know what those are because we live in times that where we need to understand and and be aware of the pervasiveness of this and the evil influence that it is and how it can and will affect us. And if we had uh, the time, I probably would ask everybody, everybody's family probably has been affected by one of these sins and in some powerful way. Um, it's, it's good to know so that we can grow in strength know what they are so we can grow in strength to guard against these things. And Paul tells us to put off the old not to, so that we will not do these things. And then he, look at the fifth bullet down where he talks about covetousness. Um, covetous literally means to have more. It means a ruthless, inordinate, that means it's all you can think about, uh, an unsatisfiable desire, greed and lust, that actively, continuously, and aggressively seeks after material wealth, possessions, things, along with sexual greed. And it's closely related to pride. Covetousness is a twin to pride. Now, we don't think that. Um, when is the last time that, I'm speaking to me as well, that we confess Covet. Now, we confess pride. Most of us have confessed pride. Lord, uh, forgive me for my pride. But when's the last time we confessed the sin of covetousness? Um, it's not done very often because we kind of think it's one of those things. What's that lady study now? The sins that are... Respectable. Uh, yeah, respectable. respectable sins. Yes, yes. So... Uh, maybe this is one of those respectable sins, but it certainly leads to great and evil things. And 
uh, covetousness is really, as you really look at it, it's idolatry because you're putting yourself in place of God and saying what you have provided for me is not enough, God. I want this. This is what I need. Okay. So um, you're, you're saying, God, I know better than you. And I need this more than I need what you provide for me. And so that's idolatry because you're wor really worshiping yourself. Uh, it's, if you don't look at the note down there, it's, um, it makes worldly things to focus an object of our worship rather than God. And it is Ten Commandments. It is, a ten, it is the Tenth Commandment. It is sin and God hates it. Okay. So there are. Uh, in verses 6 and 7, there are two reasons that we should not practice this. And basically, God hates these sins and his wrath will be showered down on those. Uh, it incurs the sin, it incurs the wrath and judgment of God. And if we continue to do these kinds of things, then we need to look to see if we're really saved. Disobedience may mean that we are not saved. And he says, if you love me, you will obey me. Look at number B, which is verse 7, in which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. He's saying, this is your old life. This is what you were before you were saved. But now your, your life is to be characterized by other things. Um, and Philippians 3, the last verse quoted down there, uh, Philippians 3 the brethren be followers together of me. And that literally means, uh, that's a one-time usage word that Paul used, and it means to be a fellow imitator of let's follow together. And it, the imitator comes from the word mimic, which we are to be in the image of Christ together. Paul is saying, be followers together of me. Be a fellow imitator. Be a co-imitator. And he's saying, let's be and let's live as in, to develop character and to become in the image of Christ together. And look how I walk as an example and don't follow those others. And he says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. The th people that do these things, their end is destruction, verse um, 19 of chapter 3. Their end is destruction, whose God is their bellies, their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that do these things are enemies, are the cross of Christ. And I looked up that word, it means to hate, oppose, uh, and reject the cross of Christ and the way of salvation. Let's look at the top of page um, three. Now here's the second point under the division of this passage in verse eight. Put off or rid yourself, okay? But now we are to put off all these, and if anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. These sins involve hate as expressed by the tongue in our speech. We know from James how powerful the tongue is. Pastors preached on that a number of times. And 
I hate it when he does it because I always get convicted. (laughs) (laughs) I need to take my tongue out of gear and put my ears in uh, active listen. Uh, Usually, um, anyway. So this is the second of two lists of sins. We looked at the first one. The first list in verse 5 regarded perverted worldly love, which ends and begins with covetousness. And the lists start with acts and behaviors that move backward to their motives and thoughts. It starts with an act, then it goes, goes backwards and shows us what caused it to happen. And we looked at covetousness, which was a cousin to lust and a twin to pride. I like that family relationship. It shows me how powerful those things are. And it's a powerful motivator for sexual sin. And it's a result of misusing our minds to dwell on what we want instead of God's accepting as a blessing, God's abundant blessing and provision. And we're to be thinking on Roman, uh, rather, uh, Philippians 4.8, whatsoever things are, um, okay. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace will be with you. So the first list is... uh, has to do with the perversion of the world's view of uh, love. And the second list in verse 8 refers to sinful hatred and misuse of the tongue. And these, this list starts with the motives and thoughts and moves forward to action. Um, so just it's just backwards. So we must put off these things. We must fill and occupy our minds with those things above. Colossians 3.16. And then there's a transition as he describes those things, verse 8, he says, but now ye also put off all these. And he's saying that you were in, you lived in that way, but now put these off and don't live in those things anymore. And he uses the metaphor all the way through verse 12 to put off and put on like you would garments or clothes. Everyone can understand that. He's trying to illustrate to them in a memorable way, in a striking way, that they should put off the old man and put on the new man. Now, A.T. Robertson says, our practice must equal our profession. I think most of us in this room have professed that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has saved us. We've, We've made a profession of faith. And now our practice should equal that profession. Um, in the South, we say, if you talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. Okay? So whatever you say, you should be doing. Your, your talk should, your walk should match up to your talk. Now, let's look at, um, not looking, we, we won't look at anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication again. But I wanted to mention, out of the mouth, you see the sixth bullet down here, right in the middle of the page under the paragraph, but now, out of your mouth 
portrays an image of all these sins of, the, of speech and the tongue pouring out of the mouth. In James 3, he says, this is, this is, to me, it's compelling. It says, out of the mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. You know, we say, oh, brother, oh, brother, oh, brother. Thank you, Lord. Oh, and then we have, out of the same mouth comes cursing. My brethren, Paul says, uh, James says, excuse me, these things ought not to be so. How hypocritical of us. We ought to be full of blessing, not cursing. He says, to illustrate that, he says, does a fountain send forth at the same time sweet water and bitter? No, it either has bitter water or sweet. So powerful illustration to me. Uh, look at, uh, in the, towards a little below the center, right below that, put off, he says, uh, in this passage in verse 8, but now ye also put off, and again, that's to take the clothes, take off clothes, and metaphor there, and rid yourself of the old. The idea is here, Christians should rid themselves of these sins as one would take off a filthy garment, okay? And don't lie to one another. It's interesting, he adds that. And I think we know that God hates lying from the Old Testament. You know, there are plenty of things where all the sins are listed and lying is usually one, two, or three. Lying, it's actually, God hates lying. It's abomination and so, and it's so evil that here it has a separate list of its own. You know, these, these words and it says, then put off lying. Don't lie to one another. In verse 9, in fact, the put off word here is a compound word that means uh, and it's only used twice. And he, it means to strip off. A very, it's a powerful word. And it means to take off a garment or strip off clothes. And he puts those together to make them more emphatic. So it's to strip off a garment and uh, take it off as we are to uh, take off the old man. And... Uh, Paul's grammatical construction here is very strong as well. It says, it's like it says, stop lying. You get the point? Sorry for the raised voice. Okay. So now, the reasons for removing. And uh, one and two here. There are two reasons for not lying. Uh, and the first is, since ye have Put off the old man when it's deeds. This is your old life and we're, the, you're, that piece of clothing, the old man is to be stripped off. Oh, the second place that's used, uh, that word, that compound word, it's apekduo, A-P-E-K-D-U-O. And it, it, it's used in Colossians 2.15 where uh, he says that... Um, I was really blessed by this morning. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over there, over them in it. You're saying, oh, I didn't hear take off clothes there. Uh, so it also means to spoil. And a very, very powerful word uh, to spoil, uh, to... Um, 
to subdue, okay? And here he says, and having spoiled principalities, this is Christ on the cross. Uh, he, he stripped them off in the attack of the principalities. He spoiled them. Um, and that, that's kind of a powerful word there. And it's interesting that we are to strip those things off that are attacking us as well. And we're to put, take off that old nature. Okay, because we have put off the old man with his deeds. And secondly, we put on the new man. So again, uh, put on, this is the other normal word that's used in eight for, for uh, expressing a metaphor of taking off clothes. So I like what we often skip over in verse uh, 10 and have put on the new man. And that's kind of where we emphasize. And, but it's the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Um, the new man that the believer puts on and wears after removing the old man, that... that um, that is renewed. Look at uh, the, about the four lines up from the bottom of the page. That new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Renewed is literally being renewed, which is referring to a continual process. And it refers to the new nature, which does not decay. There's a quote from Vaughn the new nature, and it, it refers to the new nature, which does not decay or grow old, but by constant renewal takes on more and more of the image of its creator, like Paul told us in Philippians, to be a co-imitator with me, a co-follower, followers together of Christ. And I call this, and I can't remember where I got it, or I would give credit, but I call this the realm of the renewed. This is where we ought to be, in the realm of the renewed. Uh, knowledge is another thing we pass over. The not grow, constant renewal takes on more and more the image of his creator. We're renewed in what? In the knowledge after the image. We need, and that word is epinosis, which means full or true knowledge. Now let's turn to page four here. And... Uh, that, I broke a quote up on a turn of page, sorry about that. Uh, we are to, knowledge of the goal, uh, knowledge is the goal of this process, and it indicates true knowledge. This knowledge, and here's the quote, is a read is a regenerate man's spiritual vision of Christ. It's his intimacy with him, and it's in his insight into his will. And that's Mool, H.C.G. Mool. And Bruce says, it is the life and power of Christ within that's being renewed. As the Spirit of God reproduces more and more of the Christ-likeness in the believer's life. Um, He says, how, I'm reading a quote from MacArthur, how are you being renewed in the spirit of your mind? You're renewed unto knowledge, you're renewed unto full knowledge by accepting the knowledge that God gives to your mind, appropriating it, turning it into fuel that feeds your body and creates growth. So you are renewed in the spirit of your mind 
and you put on the new man and then you see righteousness and true holiness and then comes the deeds that God wants you to do. So we're renewed in the true knowledge or full knowledge. The, the, her the Gnostics, the heresy that was encroaching into uh, the Colossian area was you had to have special knowledge. You don't have the, only a few can, only a few elite can have the special knowledge. And Paul says, you have the true knowledge and the new man's being renewed in that knowledge. Okay, note, we're going to move to verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. And that sounds real good. And we go, yeah, yeah, that's good. But let's look at that a second. It's a transition between dead and the old in verses 5 through 11 and the next section, develop the new, verses 12 through 17. It completes the thought of verse 10 that when Christians have put on the new nature and being renewed in the true knowledge of Christ, our Creator, that all these distinctions of race, class, and culture are not valid barriers for fellowship in Christ. Now, this fact is another, this is... Um, truly remarkable accomplishment of the gospel where other than the church and the body of Christ could someone like Paul say to Philemon who was the church one of the churches at least one of the churches met in his house uh, and we don't know if there were more than one church or if there was a bunch of them spread across uh, Colossae but at least one group met in Philemon's house and Onesimus was a slave that was a runaway slave that had stolen from him and Paul went him to the Lord in Rome and he's sending him back with Tychicus who's delivering the letter, this letter and he's, Paul said to Philemon regarding Onesimus receive him as myself reckon, he's saying reckon him reckon to him my merit when you talk to him talk to him as if you were talking to me accept him and if he's wronged you in any way or authy anything, put it on my account. And he's saying, reckon to him, reckon to me, his demerit. We know that's a picture of um, forgiveness, and it's also a picture of imputation, where Christ's righteousness was imputed to us, and our sins were imputed to him. And Philemon 1, 17 and 18. What an example that is in the church uh, of taking someone that was not in the same class uh, dramatically, even worse than that, he was a, he was a, a criminal, he was a, an offender, and Paul was saying, treat him like me. Wow. Now, in churches, we tend to kind of treat the people that have more money, have more business experience, uh, or some other distinction as the most important. Those are the ones that are picked for elders or deacons or leaders or pastors or whatever, teachers. But Paul says there's no distinction. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, uh, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. Now I go to the Christ is all in all and I, I, I always skip over this stuff. I say, well, yeah, that was for them. No, this is for us right now. So in a world that creates distinctions, 
and creates disharmony on purpose and that pits all the divisions they can possibly create against one another, spiritually, we are one in Christ. I remember there was a disabled guy that was really, he was mentally disabled. And that guy loved the Lord. He was a soul winner. He wasn't afraid of anyone. I was going to say nobody. He, was, he wasn't afraid of anyone. And he really reflected the love of Christ. What an example to us. Now, he couldn't do everything, obviously, because he was disabled. But what an example and what a brother in Christ that guy was. So Greeks and Jews here are national origin. This is in your handout. Circumcision and uncircumcision reflected ceremonial standing, whether they were circumcised or, you know, the Jews were against uncircumcision for, in the Old Testament. And barbarians and Scythians. Now, this is culture. So the barbarians were the lowest form of people. And they would, if they were going to refer to, you know, just like the barbarians, right? Well, the Scythians were the lowest of the low. They were lower than the barbarians. So that's why he used that. They would know that back there, uh, that back that time. And then bond and free. That's the social status. In this case, um, Onesimus was bond. But when he was in church, he prayed. His prayers were just as effective as a free person. And you could, I read illustrations in various books how, how uh, slave owners, uh, the family, the wife, along with the, sla the slave, female, were holding hands together in the Colosseum. And they were murdered together. And that was a testimony. They both died for Christ, holding him up and martyred. Uh, there are no divisions. We make these divisions and they reflect our society and our own issues, but there's to be a standing together in harmony in Christ. Whatever predispositions we have, and this church is a pretty good example of that. We have a wide variety of people here. It's not just one race, color, creed, uh, section of the U.S. that you came from, not just military, it's not just uh, Northeastern people, it's not just Westerners, it's not just white, black, Asian, Hispanic, or whatever. It's not. It's all of us together. And that's strength, yes. you know. And the um, let's look at the final clause in verse 11 affirms that Christ is all and in all. And this means that Christ is the great principle of unity. In him, all differences merge. All distinctions are done away. A quote from Vaughn again. And this is a, quoting Mool, this is a vigorous and emphatic way of saying that Christ is absolutely everything. And Philip says, and I like this, Christ is all that matters because Christ lives in them all. And now I had a quote here from F.F. Um, Bruce. I, I rediscovered a book that I had misplaced uh, by F.F. Uh, Bruce and I found this quote. Paul affirms that we all are baptized into one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slave or free men, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And the unity of that body, 
There's no room for old cleavages or divisions. Christ is all and in all. The Christ who lives in each of his people is the Christ who binds them together in one. This restoration of the image, original image of creation will be universally displayed, will be universally displayed on the day when the sons of God are revealed, when, when God comes back, or when Christ comes back. But he says, but how good and pleasant it is when, as far as in us lies, we can now display it in our Christian brotherhood here and now as an example to this divided world far more eloquent than all our preaching so that men are constrained to confess as they did in earlier days. See how these Christians love one another. Amen. <laughs> I do love that. What a love and unity are distinguishing marks of the Christian. And is that present in our lives? Mm -hmm. It should be. Um, that's a summary, and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being with us. We thank you for the truth that's presented in here, uh, your word. I pray, Father, that you would help us to increase our knowledge and that our inward man, our new, excuse me, our new man would be renewed in the true and full knowledge of understanding spiritual things in Christ, that you would cause us to be those that would be recognized for their love and unity. And we pray that that would be as eloquent or even more eloquent than our preaching. Thank you, Father, for each one that is here. We pray for those that are ill. We pray for those that are at home, that you would be with them. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.